0: On the empty streets of the snow town The melting shadows fade And the dark is creeping up on me again In between these sheets where I laid you down
1: I tried to find some rest So I reach out for
0: the switch but why pretend Hello and welcome back to Chris and Reggie's Cosmic Treadmill where we like to go back, back to the, to the past, past and read some and comics from the yesteryear of publishing. Uh, you can hear us every other week on the WeirdScienceDCComics.com podcast feed. That should come Sunday, uh, depending where you live, uh, You know, f- six to eight hours before the uh, main Weird Science podcast. And you can get that on iTunes, Podbean, Stitcher, and the Cosmic Cube. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, before we start the show, we wanted to do something a little different this week and uh, have a little uh, contest for people to uh, win five uh, comiXology dollars to apply which however they see fit to buy whatever comics they'd like. And uh, all we want you to do is to answer a little trivia question, which Chris is going to tell you right now.
1: Yes, today we are going to be discussing the Fantastic
0: Four, so we're going to do a Fantastic Four-related question. Uh, we
1: have Alicia Masters, who is the daughter of the Puppet Master. She has been romantically linked with three Marvel heroes. Uh, one of them is The Thing, Ben Grimm. We figure that's a, a good gimme because yeah. that's the one that most people know. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if you can name those other two, you will uh, be put into the... Uh, we're going to do a drawing with the right answers, right?
0: That's right. We are going to do a drawing. We're going If you just email your answers, so you just need to email two names or you can email us whatever else you... You want to say to us to uh, <laughs> Weird Comics History uh, at gmail.com, and uh, we will pick from the right answers. We will select one at random, as randomly as we can, to uh, give you five Comixology dollars, which can be applied in any Comixology.com website or, or sure. app or whatever. Yes. <laughs> uh, you
1: can use it anywhere that has Comixology on the, on the wall.
0: It, exactly. Yeah, yeah. It's not exactly, uh, you know, uh, good for your college investment but you know hopefully you'll have a little fun with it so yeah just email that to weirdcomicshistory at, at gmail.com and uh next episode we will pick the winner yes uh it's as... like uh,
1: when i was in uh, when i when i would get christmas bonuses that were uh, that were gift cards at work yeah they made me write on the back of it not for alcohol so uh you can't use these for alcohol either
0: unfortunately Are you, can you really do that
1: uh th- I that's what they told us to do from our corporate office. They said put not for alcohol. Oh, on the I bank.
0: see, I see <laughs> so that you didn't get you didn't get busted for trying to liquor up the clients yeah. and stuff. <laughs> yeah, it's uh you know, this is similar to that except uh you can't even use it for anything else but digital comics but uh yes. as chris mentioned we are doing a fantastic four book this uh this episode this was requested by toby reed somewhat some time ago and the reason he picked this was that these are the issues that got him into comics this is actually going to be a three issue arc but we're going to detail the first one uh he convinced his mom to buy a grocery store three pack which uh, chris and i remember and they seem to have mm-hmm. made a little bit of a comeback but uh, he lucked out with this one because he caught three in a row. And and which what, what are they or which one? What's the first one, Chris?
1: Well, we're going to start with Fantastic Four number two hundred ninety-three. This is a cover dated August nineteen eighty-six. Title is Central City Does Not Answer. Uh, written and penciled by our old friend John Byrne. Uh, inked by Al Gordon with colors by Glennis Oliver, who I think became or was Glennis Ween at some point.
0: I I, th- I think not long after this they did get married.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And uh, this uh, hit the stands on or about May 13th, 1986. But uh, you know, before we get into that, we have to do our our normal shtick of uh, of going into some of the creator info.
0: That's right. Well, this one's pretty easy because the writer and the penciler are the same guy. So we just mm-hmm. have one bio here for you. It's uh, John Lindley Byrne, born ni- J- sorry, born July 6, 1950, in Walsall, West Midlands, UK. Moved to Canada at age eight, was exposed to comics for the first time there. Uh, Like many, he began as a DC Comics fan, but graduated to Marvel with the Fantastic Four number five in 1962. This is a typical Silver Age fan trajectory. Mm -hmm. Uh, Became an acolyte of Jack Kirby with some Neil Adams influence and enrolled in the Alberta College of Art and Design in Calgary in 1970. He left college in 1973 after winning a Foom. That was Friends of Old Marvel. That was their house uh, comics zine. Contest that uh, he he got into He got his art into their fan art gallery He freelanced for Charlton Comics Through the mid-70s and we talked about that uh, During our Charlton Comics uh, Episodes Chris Claremont brought into to Marvel in 1977 Joined Claremont on the X-Men number 108 in December 1977 And settled settled into a long Contentious run uh, Left after issue 143 In March 1981 And you uh, you know where but somewhere in there It became the uncanny X-Men with a 142, I believe. Oh, really? Right there. Okay. So yep. he didn't really—he <laughs> didn't do much of the uncanny stuff. Yeah. Uh, began writing and penciling the Fantastic Four with issue 232 in July 1981. So by this time, he is five years into the run. And for more information, you can check out our Weird Comics History episode number five, which has a full bio on John Byrne and his contention with Chris Claremont, his work with Charlton, all this stuff. It's much more expanded. <laughs>
1: And his contention with
0: everybody. And everybody—it's true. It turns out to be a very contentious episode, in a way. Yeah.
1: <laughs> it it was—it's uh, three hours of argue. Um, let's see here. I, before we go any further, here we also have the Secret Wars, which had just uh, concluded uh, around this point. Um, at the conclusion of that, uh, Ben Grimm, the Thing, he decides to stay on Battleworld, so he does not come home. To the uh, you know the quote-unquote real world with uh, the the other, I think only Johnny and Reed went because uh, wasn't Sue sick or pregnant or something. Um, Oh,
0: on uh, during Secret Wars. During Secret Wars, yeah, yeah, because she miscarries, doesn't she? I think I mean really, what it was is that. It was Kenner, right, the guy? They, they, they didn't, yeah, they like, didn't no.
1: want girls. They didn't want they didn't girls, want girl and it was like, how do, you, how
0: do you do an invisible action hero? You know, I guess you could try to fool a few people with an empty uh, you Just know, an empty uh, clamshell, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um,
1: so with uh, with Ben on Battleworld, the Fantastic Four found themselves needing a powerhouse, and uh, that powerhouse came in the form of She-Hulk. So she takes over for, uh, for Ben for a while. Um, and now, for more information on Secret Wars, you can uh, check out Weird Comics History episode number ten, where we uh, where we discuss that, and uh, actually, we even discuss uh, the "quote unquote" crossover culture that uh, followed.
0: That's right. Yeah, it's really it's really a full episode on the uh, event that sort of birthed the annual events of yes. all comics. But uh, yeah, check it out. Don't
1: you wish they were still just
0: annual events? Oh, that would be nice. Yeah, they seem to be about three, <laughs> three times a year, it seems, weaving At in and out of different families. But anyway.
1: Now, let's uh, get down to Fantastic Four number 293. Um, now, this features a, a somewhat memorable cover. I think if you saw it, you'd recognize it pretty quick. Mm, yeah. It's uh, She-Hulk. It's... It's like two thirds of it is black. It's a black bubble, and uh, She-Hulk is kind of stuck in it. She's pulling herself out. Um, it looks like it's trying to consume her, basically. Um, this uh, it's it's a fairly iconic cover, though. Uh, Byrne actually had a he had two other covers he had uh, he had pitched for this issue, one of which is uh, She-Hulk kind of like engulfed in darkness. It's just basically her form in a completely black cover, which. Hmm. Uh, very striking. Um, a lot nicer than this one, even though this one is pretty cool, too. Yeah. Um, but that one was uh, that one was re- de- declined by Marvel. And uh, we're going to talk about Burns' things getting declined by Marvel a little bit towards the end of the episode. Mm-hmm. Um, there was also a second one that he did, but he rejected that one himself. He didn't think it was dynamic enough. Uh, both images are, are readily available online. They're not very hard to find. Okay. Cool. Um. Yeah, and we open with uh, She-Hulk kind of slumming it with the West Coast Avengers. Uh, They are Iron Man, Wonder
0: Man, and we were doing... Tigra? Well, yeah, we did Tigra because, as I mentioned, a rap group, La Trim, from Chicago, had two female members, Bunny and Tigra, and I feel like it was spelt this way, so that there you go. She set the precedent, as far as I'm concerned. Yes. Yeah, so you you can call her Tigra, we're going to call her Tigra.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Now, uh, she's hanging out with them, and she checks in with her main squeeze at the time, uh, Mr. Wyatt Wingfoot, uh, who was, wasn't that like Johnny's dorm mate at college or something? Yeah, that's what it was, Yeah. yeah. Now, uh, they are outside of Mr. Fantastic's hometown of Central City. This is a different Central City than the one the <laughs> Flash is from. <laughs> yeah, this one's in California. Yeah, this one is not in the uh, the Midwest. Um, now, this uh, Central City is locked under a massive black dome. Uh, you know, you can't see through it. It's just blackness. Mm. Um, so uh, Wyatt Wingfoot, who is on the other end of the uh, video phone here, he notices the dome, and he says, The dome. What on earth is it? Is it as big as it looks on the monitor, or as black? She Hulk says, "Black or white, it just seems to eat light." Now, meanwhile, back at the Baxter Building, we think it's the Baxter Building. It might be the Four Freedoms Plaza. I'm not sure (laughs) which
0: one not clear. They kind of look the same from the inside, you know. That's (laughs) the problem. Yeah, they do.
1: It's all very (laughs) sterile. Yeah, Um, but that's it's it's where they're hanging. The Fantastic Four are hanging out. but, so back there, the remaining members of the Fantastic Four, along with Alicia Masters, who uh, is the subject of our trivia question, That's right. they watch over uh, Doom Todd, <laughs> which is a uh, Christoph von Doom, uh, the adopted son of Victor von Doom, who at this point in time has been implanted with uh, Doctor Doom's memories. And we see him locked in a uh, kind of like a uh, so, you know a, a solitude. Yeah, yeah, kind of. And he's uh, he's this tiny little kid, and he's got his fists balled up and. Uh, He's yelling,
0: I am Dr. Doom!
1: <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, Johnny, he's rightfully concerned that this kid might be a threat.
0: Yeah, Johnny says, Anyone with Doom's intelligence could make a time machine out of two aspirin and an old radio. Now, Reed,
1: totally not getting jokes, goes, Well, a bomb, perhaps. Although we'd need a whole bottle of aspirin to synthesize enough TNT to make one truly...
0: I was only kidding, Reed. Uh, which, you know, to be honest, Reed kind of freaks me out. He already knows how to synthesize TNT with a bottle of aspirin. This guy is definitely on a ser- serious watch list. I would think.
1: Yeah, and I was going to say we don't recommend Googling how to do that because
0: you'll no. be on that same watch list. That's right. Stay, on, <laughs> stay off the uh, Richard Reed watch list. It's dangerous. Uh, Wyatt Wingfoot checks in and informs the team that Reed's hometown is under the bubble, and so they take flight in the long-range fantastic car. Uh, it's you know, it's funny in this panel they're talking about like, oh God, I hope this works. I mean, it's just, a you know, a plane, right? I yeah. mean, you know, how, how crazy is this? Oh, wow, we just kind of, like, put a better engine on it. Anyway. Uh, well, they filled it with allergy pills, not aspirin. <laughs> <laughs> this was all allergy pills. That was all they could get, that's right. <laughs> yeah, it, it, and it an works. inhaler. were sure it was going to work. Uh, <laughs> Sue feels pangs of guilt for always leaving young Franklin behind, and, you know, she has a reason to, rightfully so. Uh, we just never really think of this poor kid. He's always sitting there all alone with some ro- robotic nanny or something. You figure it's like some nanny with like a uh with like a bottle of milk and a nipple. Yeah. <laughs> picture Rosie, Rosie from the Jetsons, basically, like <laughs> yes. an apron. That's basically all
1: <laughs> And uh you know, at this point it's it, we gotta mention that uh Sue and Johnny, <laughs> they have uh they have the exact same haircut. Yeah. And, <laughs> it's uh, really weird. <laughs> and one of uh one of you know, the things that people slag burn on is that he uh his faces can be a little bit similar. So uh here we have two people, two with the same haircut, the same—not even a very different build, except no. you know, with the with you know certain body parts. Um,
0: but uh, but if you see them from I, the shoulders up, you know what I mean. It's, you don't know, they yeah. Look really alike.
1: <laughs> yeah, if Sue wasn't wearing earrings, uh, we would we would be doing the wrong
0: voices half the time. Here. It's true, yeah. I mean, yeah. In the long shot, you can't see that trademark burn, you know, smoky eye yeah. makeup and uh, lip. Pucker, and the puckered puckered lip, lip. thickness, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it, it, there are times that we might mess up a little bit, but, uh, you know, basically know that a member of the Fantastic Four said the line regardless.
1: Yes, a blonde member.
0: Now, uh, back at the bubble, Iron Man sets up an interesting tinker toy with which he hopes to enter the void. She-Hulk, She-Hulk says, Are you trying to take over Reed Richards' place as a world top world's top mad scientist? To which
1: Iron Man says, I'm not mad, she just a little peeved.
0: Uh, Iron Man is able to open a portal in the dome, just and like any dim-witted superhero, <laughs> dives right in headfirst. Yep. <laughs> he, re- he returns, and he even makes a big mistake, like, I am the only one that can do this. Only I have the proper armor. It's like, come on, you don't even know what this thing is. Uh, yep. <laughs> he returns a half second later. In fact, as his legs are still you know, on the outside, as he's diving in, his torso is diving out. It's happening yep. simultaneously. And uh, his armor is just beat beat to crap. It's in a total state of disrepair.
1: And he goes, power gone. Mood concentrates exhausted. Barely managed to escape alive. Why didn't anyone come
0: after me? And uh, Tigra says, what? How could we, Iron Man? You weren't in there more than half a second. You like my Tigra voice, right? That's
1: an excellent voice. <laughs> we need to do more Tigre comics. <laughs> um, <laughs> Iron Man responds with, A Half second, are you mad? I was in there three weeks. Oh, boy. And uh, at this point, you know, She-Hulk checks on Iron Man uh, and gives the camera a gratuitous butt shot. Mm-hmm. Um, now, this is weird because uh, She-Hulk was always an Avenger before she was a member of the Fantastic Four. But uh, since she's no longer an Avenger, she's kind of on a need-to-know basis about everything Avengers-related because Wonder Man snatches up Iron Man and takes him to safety to uh, make sure She-Hulk doesn't pry. Yeah,
0: um, in, in like a second. Too, it, 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 yeah. It, there's no discussion. There's no debriefing of Iron Man. It's just like, oh, later, boing. <laughs> yep, see ya. Because
1: uh, at this point, I, you know, with uh, with Secret was, uh, you know, Iron Man was not Tony Stark. He was James Rhodes. Yeah. And I thought maybe this might be James Rhodes here, and they just didn't want She-Hulk to know it was a different dude under the armor. But we do get a shot of the inside of his armor, and it, it's a very pale face. Yeah, so I it,
0: don't think it's Rhodes. You definitely think it's Tony uh, in there. So it, it's really strange. I mean, Wonder Man sort of is a dick. You know. Yeah,
1: he's he's quite a deck. Uh, he even goes as far as uh, he's you know he's taken off with them, and he's uh, he says to uh, the remaining ladies, "You gals, stay on guard here. And don't get in any trouble.
0: I'm gone." She Hulk replies, "Stay out of trouble. Oof, that's all I need. A guy with the IQ of a Mack truck telling us gals to stay out of trouble. Who does he think we are, Betty and Veronica?" But you know what? They wait. They do. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> they're sitting right there.
1: And uh, you know they're waiting that they're staying put. But the uh, the dome does not respond to uh, Wonder Man's warning and decides to grow. Mm. Um, we have Tigra here. She's strategically squatted, and uh, you know the bubble comes up and, and grabs her by the butt.
0: Yeah. She, it, <laughs> she just she's just sort of like sitting there and minding her own business, and then burp,
1: whoops. <laughs> now uh, she is somehow able to free herself and uh, she hulk uh, maybe not the sharpest tool in the uh, in the in the in the bulb or something yeah. <laughs> um, the sharpest bulb in the shed yeah uh, she decides to tempt fate by sinking her fist into the mass um, she finds herself unable to retrieve her green app- appendage And then we get another really funny scene here. We got Tigra trying to help pull, you know, Shulky out here. You figure, you know, she'd try to, like, get from behind and maybe kind of back suplex her out of it. But uh, instead they just – she just tangles up and she hooks legs. It's like uh, very heavy petting here trying to get her out of the – out of the dome
0: yeah th- th- this this one is definitely for the uh, pubescent and you know nearly pubescent readership of fantastic four it's quite uh you know mm-hmm. it's it's comic book lascivious i don't want to say yes it's too much but it's it's a little ridiculous that she's like prying her by the inner thighs <laughs> it <doesn't make> <laughs> yeah, she's,
1: she's rubbing her thigh her face is in her crotch it's yeah. like huh? <laughs> hey. but uh it's all for naught <laughs> because uh you know, this is, this is a matter of life or death, so we'll, we'll allow it. Um, uh, but, uh, you know, She-Hulk kicks Tigra away because the dome is still growing and engulfing her. Uh, and she wants to make sure Tigra doesn't get sucked in. Um, so She-Hulk disappears into the void. Tigra is safe. And uh, just then, the Fantastic Four, along with Wyatt Wingfoot, arrive on the scene.
0: Well, see, it's good that Tiger got kicked out because I think that these heroes definitely would have also jumped right into the, you know what I mean? That's sort of what oh, they, immediately. <laughs> they would have been like, what a big black dome, boy! You know, <laughs> now we're Let's all fly starting, the plane in <laughs> Let's there. Let's go take the fantastic car in there. It is long range. <laughs> uh, now, you know, Reed is there, and through the magic of math, he and company deduced that the time acceleration inside the dome could be, you know, probably a bad thing if they decide to enter it
1: yeah at the rate of one month per second that's uh that's some time uh that's some speedy time
0: oh yeah it's it's moving along <laughs> at a good clip, and he figures it out you know I mean he basically figures it out because he's like, well, if uh you know uh Tony Stark if Iron Man was in there for three quarters of a second, you know and mm-hmm. well, it doesn't make any sense, and that was three weeks <laughs> anyway uh Johnny feels really guilty about possibly not seeing Franklin again um no, wait, that was Sue. That's, uh, that mm-hmm. makes more sense. Uh, it was weird for, Johnny, you know, we thought it was a little weird to see Johnny hugging up on Reed like that. It looked a little awkward, but they are yeah. happy brother-in-laws, brothers in law so that's uh, not a horrible thing. Uh, the Fantastic Three plus Wyatt realize they have little choice but to enter if they have any hopes of saving She-Hulk. Plus, it seems Wyatt is really hell-bent on getting uh, his old lady back. Inside the dome, the, D- the team finds out they're in an almost unrecognizable central city outskirts. The familiar buildings are there, but they've been built over with some ramshackle industrial piping and what's-its. And this this scene is really a John Byrne special, kind of like, yeah, you know, I mean, I, I think when he began doing this, you know, super ruled, complex style, it was an homage to Kirby. But over the time, he made it his own. And looking at a mm-hmm. panel like this, it's like, oh, yeah, that's John Byrne all up and down. Um, treat, yeah. It turns out that The uh, the the real city the, the city that people live in Is built above it uh, They continue along and this uh, industrial theme Fades and it's replaced with sort of A crystal looking architecture with Reed Describes as polished glass uh, Johnny flies ahead and gets An eyeful of something that he finds rather disturbing He says Oh my gosh <laughs> To which Reed goes Johnny what is it lad Just see for yourself fearless leader and what they find is a giant statue of the Fantastic Four. It's it, it's us. And this this statue is very like uh, it really looks religious, you know. Everyone it is, does. Uh, you know, Johnny praying. Yep. They're all in praying forms. It seems like Sue is in a lotus position. There's like you said, you know, the Olympic rings are behind them for yep. some reason. <laughs> so it's uh, there's definitely there's more to say about this, and we're gonna talk about it right now we
1: are. We're going to hop right into Fantastic Four number 294, cover dated September 1986. The uh, title is Hero Worship. Uh, it was released on or about June 17th, 1986. This one, uh, we're going to have a little bit of a change in the uh, credits. We got uh, It's written by John Byrne and the uh, rhythmically named Roger Stern. <laughs> um, this is uh, penciled not by John Byrne, but by Jerry Ordway. Uh, with inks by uh, Al Gordon and Glennis Oliver, and colors by uh, Glennis Oliver. Yep. Uh, now, who are these other guys? Uh, well, sit tight, we'll get to it. Um, now, between the covers, we learn that inside the dome, the Fantastic Four are worshipped as gods. Um, while they're, you know, loitering, they are attacked by what seems to be an endless supply of Fantastic Four devotees, each with a uh, "quote-unquote" fantastic power. Mm. Uh, we've got some that are, uh, you know, yelling that it's clobbering time. Yeah. We got some that are lit on fire. We got some that are kind of invisible. It's uh, they're,
0: they they're very, very kind of uh, have like psychic powers, and they have two. Are they all yeah. each are very different. Like, like the uh, the big guys are dressed in orange with these kind of. helmets and and the fire guys are little imps I can't I don't know what to say about it they're sort of like little elves (laughs) or something and then the I mean my favorite are the uh, invisible guys because they have two heads Yes, that I like (laughs) so that's good
1: now, uh, we, sh- we soon learn about a uh, Dr. Jessup, who was a, a man who—he uh, so feared the potential for nuclear war that he created the dome that they're all currently inhabiting. Um, he did so after seeing the Fantastic Four on television. Uh, they-, they were the first thing in a long time that actually gave him hope for the future. And that's kind of what made them the, uh, you know, the pious deity-like figures that are, are currently being worshipped inside the dome. Um, we do eventually meet Jessup, who uh, he was like in a stasis or something. They had to wake him up, um, and he's a he's a really really old man wearing yeah. <laughs> a gaudy as hell jumpsuit and a, uh, a conveniently uh, malfunctioning lie detector helmet, which tells him that these Fantastic Four are not the Fantastic Four that he worships and so he sentences them to death.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, what other option could you possibly have? You know, None, zero. It's, it's either reverence or death. That's that's the law <laughs> of the land, folks. Uh, now we wrap up this three-part arc with Fantastic Four, number 295, October 1986 cover date. Titled Welcome to the Future, release date ni- July 15th, 1986. This one is just written by Roger Stern, with the same art team as the previous issue, and it has a special thanks and perhaps a swift kick in the tuchus and a... Admonition not to let the door hit you where the good Lord split you to John Byrne. <laughs> uh, the team goes invisible to escape their hasty death sentence, which happens like right there. I mean, it's like right they're, there. they're yep. sentenced to death and they, they start blasting. It's not even a delay. <laughs> uh, There's no they, ceremony. They take, uh, they take sanctuary at Myrna's place. They learn that She-Hulk arrived there a century and a half prior and was eventually captured by the patrols, though she did put up one hell of a fight. A lady who witnesses her capture might have had her official handbook of the Marvel Universe handy because she dropped some knowledge on the hordes.
1: Yeah, this is a Miss exposition is what we call her. Yeah. She's uh, she's, she's uh, you know, she's right there and she goes, she is called She-Hawk. She is an Avenger. Yeah. In one of the Fantastic Four. She, she replaced the Thing. Her first appearance was was the Savage She Hulk number one by Stan Lee.
0: It's, it's very crazy. Yeah, she's very specific about it. I, I you know it reminds me a lot of uh, Ariel in the cartoon Thunder the Barbarian. There, they're like two yep. thousand years in the future, yet she seems to know everything about the twentieth century. Everything about everything. Yeah. yeah, she's she's brilliant. So these people are necessary, but unfortunately, nobody buys it. Uh, nope. a- after story time, the Fantastic Four sneak back into Jessup's place and Reed snatches the lie detector from the old man. There's a pretty lengthy battle that goes on, uh, kind of goes even back and forth a little bit, but in the end, the Fantastic Four wins. No, you know, die uh she hulk is rescued she's in this subterranean cavern that's like she's been there so long there's even a cobweb on her sleeping chamber whatever her stasis yeah, chamber her stasis tube it's yeah like, no, no one's no one's even gone down there to like you know check around the do, dust. A, do a sweep you know i mean sheesh give me a break uh and the, and the whole thing is packed with people from the old city that have been lying in stasis Um, Right then, Jessup has his come-to-Jesus moment and realizes his folly. He orders the hordes to stand down. Bingo, bango, the dome and the city below it vanish from Earth, leaving nothing more than a giant crater from which the uh, Fantastic Four Four crawls out, along with Wyatt Wingfoot. Mm -hmm. Uh, After filling out a mound of government military paperwork, Reed has to sit down by the crater and realize that Jessup and he aren't all that different. He felt as though he could protect Ben Grimm by keeping Harsh Realities a secret rather than actually fixing fixing anything. He only found a better hole in which to hide. Mhm. So this is this obviously leads to a ultimate return of the thing since we know he's on the team later, but this is where yes. this is where it all starts, I guess, so, you know, Reed realizing he's not the swell guy he thought he was.
1: Yes, it was uh, the darkening of Reed Richards that has not stopped since. Ever, yeah. (laughs) Um, Now, we did mention that there was a new creative team. Uh, We're going to start with Roger Stern. He was uh, born uh, September 17, 1950 in uh, Noblesville, Indiana. Uh, in the early 1970s, he published the fanzine called uh, CPL, which stands for Contemporary Pictorial Literature. Uh, now, this was one of the first publications that would showcase John Byrne's work, uh, as as luck would have it. Mm-hmm. Um, CPL was originally uh, Bob Layton's sales catalog.
0: Yeah, he, he was a, a mail-order uh, back back-issue guy.
1: Yeah, yeah, they were they were they were popping up a little bit in the uh, in the 70s. There, sure. it's a very interesting time. Yeah. Um, now, by the mid 70s, uh, they uh, they worked with Charlton to produce the sanctioned fanzine Charlton Bullseye, which featured exclusive art and unpublished stories from Charlton. And this is also where uh, Raj 2000 first showed up. That's right. Right? The John Byrne creation.
0: Became like a mascot of the... I think, actually, wasn't Raj first a backup in... In E-Man. In E-Man. But then it it, it sort of got adopted by the Charlton Bullseye became like their mascot character.
1: It did, yeah. And uh, let's see, he uh, wrote a few pieces for Foom, which is that Friends of Old Marvel we just talked about. Uh, He would eventually become an assistant editor at Marvel in 1976. Uh, Became the writer for uh, Peter Parker, the Spectacular Spider-Man, with issue 43, cover date June 1980. Uh, He would take over the main Spider-Man title, Amazing Spider-Man, with issue 224, January 1982. He uh, co-created the West Coast Avengers with Bob Hall. Um, you uh, which, which actually, you know, John Byrne took over at around issue 50 and changed the title from West Coast Avengers to Avengers West Coast.
0: That's right, so, it, <laughs> so it would show up sooner in the racks, you know, Yes, not, not, a, not a terrible idea, but you know, there's that Stern Byrne connection once again. It's
1: yeah, it's, they are, they are joined at the hip for a lot of this. <laughs> um, yeah. Now, in 1987, he famously got into an argument with editor Mar- uh, Marvel editor uh, Mark Grunewald and was uh, subsequently fired from the Avengers. Uh, like I mentioned the first time we did this, I do have some of Mark Grunewald's DNA on my shelf. <laughs> so we can, we're can we going to try to clone him and, and try to get the skinny on this. Get his side of the story. Yeah, whatever. Yes. Yes. Yes, he, he's he's gone silent, unfortunately. <laughs> um, <laughs> he uh, began uh, this is stern. He began freelancing for DC, once again helping his buddy Burnout on uh, on uh, Action Comics. He uh, co-created the uh, Kryptonian artifact that we would know as the Eradicator. Mm-hmm. Um, he wrote the novelization of The Death and Life of Superman in 1993, which actually made it to the New York Times bestseller list.
0: Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's pretty impressive. I think it just shows yeah. how big this event was, even in the mainstream. Oh, it huge. You know, people wanted Absolutely. to read Absolutely. They were like, I ain't reading a comic, but a prose <laughs> <No>. <laughs> book, a novel, I'll read.
1: Yeah, I can I can read that on the train. <laughs> <laughs> I could put a different cover on that. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, he's, he was able to freelance for both Marvel and DC throughout the 90s. Uh, in 2000, he began writing for a European publisher, Edgemont, for whom he produced the scripts for *Phantom* Men, *Which Was the Phantom*. And he also wrote for uh, *Panini UK*, uh, which uh, had a Marvel Rampage magazine in which he wrote uh, *Spider-Man* and *Hulk* stories. Um, he, uh, you know, he didn't go. Uh, he didn't go silent. He, uh, he still writes to this day. He wrote for. He's written for Marvel and DC in this century. Uh, Most notably, perhaps, with uh, Kurt Busiek on Marvel's Eye of the Camera, which was a six-issue miniseries going from uh, February 2009 to April 2010. Uh, He also uh, did—they briefly brought back um, Web of Spider-Man in the post-brand-new day era. Oh, yeah? And uh, I think he had a pretty big part in that. It only uh, lasted—it lasted less than a year, I believe, because it was oversized and overpriced, and I don't think the market could support that. But uh, he was part of that. Um, in his personal life, uh, Stern married uh, Cornell University chemistry teacher uh, Carmelo Merlow in Ithaca, New York, in uh, June 1982.
0: Yeah, and you know, for all these guys, and we're, I'm going to talk about uh, the third character right now. Uh, you know, these are all partial bios yeah, and very, bibliographies or whatever. Very shallow, yes. <laughs> yeah, we we can't we we go a lot deeper on weird comics history when we tackle these topics. So this this should just give you an overview of what what was important and more. What was germane to what we're, you know, getting at here with this uh, sure. changeover from why did John Byrne vanish in the middle of a story arc? Uh, the other guy, the guy that suddenly started drawing it was Jeremiah Jerry Ordway. He was born November 28, 1957. Attended the Milwaukee Technical High School where he took a three-year course in commercial art. Had a fanzine called OK Comics. So it was drawn almost entirely by Jerry and co-written with his friend Dave Kula. Who I don't think ever showed up in comics again. I don't know what happened to Mister Kula. I did a little bit of research
1: on him yesterday, and I couldn't find anything.
0: Yeah, I, he may be a dentist. You know, I mean, he, just, <laughs> he could be. Not everyone that does a fanzine is like uh, driven to work for low pay and long hours. Yes. Uh So published some other some work in other fanzines at the time, and joined a studio in 1976 as a typographer. He worked his way up. And by the late 70s, he was a commercial painter for the same studio and also submitted covers for fanzines and prozines, including the Comics Journal, which was, a, you know, already kind of getting to be a big deal by then. He did covers for Western Publishing's Golden Books on Young Reader Marvel Books and the Superheroes Golden Beginning Stamp Book in 1979. That was actually called 79. Uh, At a 1980 Chicago Comic Con, DC held a talent search, and Ordway submitted some of his professional work for review, and some of it was this Golden Books uh, painting that he'd done for Marvel, or I guess really for Golden Books, but with Marvel characters, and through that he was given work, and for a time he worked for the art studio and freelanced as an inker, it was about six months. He worked on pencils by Carmine Infantino, Trevor Von Eden, as well as Joe Staton, and Dave Cockrum. He quit the commercial studio in February 1981 to go freelance full-time and shared a new studio with other artists that kind of rotated in and out, but a couple of them, they included Pat Pat Broderick and Al Vey. His first drawing gig was All-Star Squadron, beginning with an insert, preview, in Justice League of America, number 193, that was cover dated August 1981. He co-created with Roy Thomas Infinity Inc. in All-Star Squadron, number 25, September 1983. And also, this is probably his biggest claim to fame, at least for DC fans, he inked George Perez's pencils on the 12-part Crisis on Infinite Earths in April 1985 to March 1986.
1: Yeah, and he stuck with the inking there. Uh, he inked uh, Wayne Boring's pencils, uh, the famous Superman artist, uh, in the retelling of the definitive Golden Age Superman origin story, uh, which was written by Roy Thomas, and it launched the uh, Secret Origins um, series. Mm-hmm. This was uh, Secret Origins number one, uh, covered dated April 1986. Uh, he he considers this one a particular favorite of his. Uh, he would draw Adventures of Superman written by Marv Wolfman uh, this is part of that, uh, you know, the Byrne-led revamp of Superman following Crisis on Infinite Earths and uh, Man of Steel Yeah. Uh, eventually Wolfman left the book, uh, Byrne took over because Byrne was, Byrne was cranking it
0: out that, uh, for that know. couple of years there unbelievable
1: and uh, yeah, and Ordway, uh, he finished it out as a uh, writer slash artist, he did both um, Ordway uh, was the penciler and inker for uh, the DC Comics adaptation of the the you know the Tim Burton one thousand, nine hundred and eighty nine Batman film. Yep. Um, see uh, from Adventures of Superman, he went to the uh, second volume of Superman, and uh, wrote and penciled from uh, issue number thirty four, August one thousand, nine hundred and eighty nine, to number fifty five in May one thousand, nine hundred and ninety one. Uh, he would come back to do covers and some co writing. He was uh, you know he was involved with the one thousand, nine hundred and ninety two Death of Superman event. Uh, he would do some image work. He co created a Wild Star with Al Gordon for Image. Uh, this was one thousand, nine hundred and ninety three. Uh, he would leave the Superman books just uh, just as Superman was coming back mm-hmm. um, in uh, nineteen ninety three. Though uh, you know he, he came back a bit to do some uh, some work on the uh, late '90s uh, Superman Adventures book, which was based on the animated series, the uh, the the Bruce Timm animated series.
0: Yeah, so he could never get away from those adventures, you know. It's, no, uh, <laughs> it's somewhere as a Superman. There's an adventure. It's, he's there.
1: He's he's somewhere on the periphery. <laughs> uh, he brought back uh, Captain Marvel in uh, 1994 with a. Uh, he had a an original graphic novel was called The Power of Shazam. Uh, it was uh, either so successful or so Acclaimed that it actually got an ongoing and it ran for four years from 1995
0: to 1999. Yeah, nice,
1: nice chunk of time there. Yeah, especially during the, uh, especially during the not so salad years. That's true. (laughs)
0: Oh, yeah, for sure.
1: And, uh, these are, you know, these stand out to you on the rack because they all have painted covers that Ordway did himself. Mm. Uh, very, uh, it makes them look like a like kind of like a relic they're they're very uh, very neat looking
0: yeah they're, they're like you know they're very old school they kind of look like pulp uh magazines pulp covers, from the yeah. 40s or, or 30s even they don't look like uh Alex Ross painted covers they're very sharp and no. realistic but they are very very cool kind of kind of something pulpy and gritty about them you got to check them out yeah,
1: totally fitting in with the with the character and especially the the stories he was telling. Um, now in the 2000s, you know, Ordway he does regular work for DC, including he inked uh, JLA number 94 to 99, which was a horrendous story called <laughs> the Tenth Circle. <laughs> <laughs> which is perhaps most notable for reuniting uh Chris Claremont and John Byrne. Uh Byrne did the uh plotting and pencils and I think Claremont was
0: uh, relegated to script duty. Yeah, and I think uh, I think the two of them had to be kept uh you know separate by vaults and they you know had intermediates yeah. talking in between them but they <laughs> they still did it. And also this did begin Byrne's uh Doom patrol run.
1: Yeah, sadly. <laughs> um, <now> for... <laughs> Now, for uh, for the uh, Jeff Johns and uh, was it Phil Jimenez, right? They had that event uh, Infinite Crisis in the mid two thousands. Woodway would uh, provide pencils for the flashback scenes, which uh, a lot of the flashback scenes took part took place on uh, Earth two because this brought back the multiverse. Mm-hmm. And uh, really, you know, since Ordway was so well known for Infinity Inc., and uh, some of his work on All Star Squadron, it really fit. It it really separated. The Earth
0: One and Earth Two stuff. It yeah, really it, it looked authentic well. to me. You know, yeah, honestly. absolutely. Oh, okay, this looks right. Yeah.
1: Yeah, it looked like it was plucked right out of a, like an old book. Um, yeah, he would draw the uh, Challenges of the Unknown and the Human Bomb comics uh, post New Fifty Two. These were in that a uh, DC Universe Presents thing that uh, was was around for, I want to say it made it to the zero month.
0: Yeah, I think it had twelve issues. Uh, yeah, with, and it switched it was Dead Man and uh, Challengers were in it and. I, I don't know, I guess the Human Bomb, maybe one other, I don't remember.
1: And I think they, because they did, they had the Zero issue that was oversized, because they were, I think it was like a repository for the stuff that got canceled. Yeah, pretty much. And I think there was like an OMAC story in there, and maybe a static story, just whatever didn't make it the year was shoved. It,
0: it really was sort of like a modern day uh, canceled comics cavalcade, you know. It was kinda, sort of, kind of, yeah. It's kind of cool in that way, though, you get to see sure. what didn't make it.
1: Yeah, too bad it was all the new continuity that nobody cared about. Yeah, well. Um, (laughs) In his personal life, Ordway is married to Peggy Mae Ordway, who was born at some point, somewhere in 1959.
0: Now, you know, we said we were going to explain why John Byrne vanished uh, after... Issue two of of, or the second part of this story arc and it seems like there was something going on behind the scenes Um, John Byrne had reportedly advised Jim shooter that he would be taking over the Superman books along with Marl Wolfman Who was not the biggest shooter fan or booster himself? Uh, You know, he was gonna be moving over to DC for the post-crisis reimagining around the time of Fantastic Four 483 to 484 he was reportedly told that nothing would change and he'd be able to do both projects. Now, Burns states that immediately after this, his scripts are being returned with requests for change, which, you know, given what what Chris was saying about the cover for the, the first issue in this arc, sounds like there, something went on there. You don't usually have to do three wildly different yeah. covers for a book. Uh, but it was just being changed without, his, or, or stuff was being changed without them telling him, without his knowledge or consent. Uh, later claims were that Shooter advised Byrne he'd be able to finish out his run with Marvel's first family, which seems unlikely to me, uh, yeah. but that's what people have said, and, and as the story we just discussed shows, that was not really the case either, because obviously he had to leave after <laughs> 392, I mean, you know, so he only co- co-scripted the next one, and he was gone by, the, by 394. Whether Shooter reneged on the deal or Byrne just quit, it's a matter of who you ask, but but the the short of it is he walked away. Byrne was done in the middle of this arc, and that's why uh, it suddenly got shunted off to his old buddy Bert Stern and, uh, mm-hmm. you know, the old workhorse Ordway. So there it is. I think it's interesting that Toby got these comics in particular that show this yeah. kind of changeover in Marvel. You know, I, I don't know if he he noticed it. Probably not as a kid. You wouldn't even notice something like that. No. But, uh, although if you look at the comics side by side, as you pointed out yesterday, yeah. uh, there is a pretty stark difference between John Byrne and Ordway although to his credit he does do his best attempt at doing a John Byrne at times
1: he does uh, a good John Byrne impression but it's still it
0: it's, it looks it looks off it's it's still <laughs> an impression you know you can tell it's not the same guy yeah
1: now this uh, was just the start of a period of upheaval for the fantastic 4 um it, uh, you know Steve Englehart, he stepped in as writer of uh, around uh, I want to say around issue 300 um, and he was reportedly advised to shake things up. Uh, this would result in him remo- actually removing Reed and Sue from the team. Um, they would eventually be replaced by uh, the inhuman character Crystal and Miss Marvel, but not either Miss Marvel you're probably thinking of. Uh, this is not Carol Danvers, and it's not. Uh- <laughs> Koala, whatever her name is. Kamala Um,
0: Khan, right? Yeah. There you go. (laughs)
1: Koala. And there's another one. (laughs)
0: Is there another Miss Marvel? I don't know. Or maybe not. Well, there is this one. This is
1: Sharon Ventura. Okay. She's the, uh, she's like kind of like the red haired one or the maybe like dirty blonde. Right. Um, now she would eventually become She Thing after suffering a run-in with cosmic rays, and She Thing is exactly what you think it is. She is another <laughs> rock creature.
0: Yeah, it's, uh, it's a, thi- a thing—a little, little more slender, really, though, right? Like slightly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah.
1: yeah and she's uh, she looks more like clay than actual, like like scaly rock.
0: Right. Yeah. Like uh, more she- the original. Yeah, like the cracked
1: clay, clay, like you were saying. Um, Now, Englehart was also able to write a special issue of Fantastic Four that was called Secret Wars 3. And uh, I'm guessing the shooter was gone. I know shooter was gone at this point because uh, a lot of people didn't like the Beyonder or his Bert Convy hair. So they, uh, (laughs) they retconned him into being a cosmic cube or something.
0: Yeah, it's unclear. We actually talked about this during the Secret Wars episode, and I was, yeah. I was, I was no more clear then about it.
1: <laughs> now, now, whether the cosmic, this Cosmic Cube used jerry curl is up for debate. <laughs> now, during Hut's run, there would be a change at the top. Like we said, Shooter was gone, and I think this is when Tom DeFalco came in, but I'm not entirely sure. Um, the orders came down that uh, Sue and Reed were to be returned to the book post-haste. Um, Englehart was not happy with this decision because he felt that the Richards had been what was dragging the book down for the last decade. Um, his Fantastic Four felt it felt different. It was uh, fresh. It was new. It wasn't this uh, stuffy family thing that I think a lot of folks had thought had been played out at yeah. this point. Yep. The novelty had kind of uh, fallen off. Um, but, you know, orders is orders. And he did what he was asked to do. Uh, for these issues, however, he did refuse to put his name on the stories. Instead, he used his uh, his oft-used pseudonym, John Hawkness. And, uh, you know, he, this is not the first or last time he would use that name.
0: And we will probably get into more of that when we talk about Steve Englehart because he is sure. a titan in the industry. Uh, Definitely worthy he, of a whole episode. Absolutely, uh, has some of my favorite run as one of my favorite runs on Batman in the in the late seventies. Uh, an incredible run on. Uh, well, a good run on Doctor uh, Doctor, Doctor Strange. Strange. Uh, you know, he's he's tackled them all. Didn't he do a little bit on Daredevil? Did I imagine that? Maybe I not. don't recall, but I know uh, he
1: did. Uh, he did that. Uh, some creator owned work for uh, Epic in that Coyote series, which oh, was pretty neat.
0: Yeah, a real real talented guy and really uh, prolific. So I, I definitely see us uh, breaking him down as well as Jim Shooter someday. We've talked about that already. How we want to do a episode on Jim Shooter, and since we intend to record this. For the next eighty years, uh, we'll yes, get to it eventually. We'll um, mm-hmm. But if you would like to uh, write to us and uh, tell us what you think about this, uh, these issues of Fantastic Four, or any of the creators we, or anything we talked about, any of the creators or whatever, or if you'd like to recommend a new issue or answer our trivia question from the beginning of the episode, you can write to us at weirdcomicshistory at gmail dot com. You can also request uh, books at our subreddit, which is uh, weird. What is it? Weird Science DC Comics is the Reddit. And then in there Mm -hmm. is a subreddit for... Uh, selecting comics for uh, the Cosmic Treadmill, and remember, this doesn't have to be a DC comic. It can be from any publisher, any year, as long as it is a real comic book. For one thing, don't make up a comic <laughs> book that never existed. And if, well, if you do, we'll just we'll just make up the uh, synopsis. We might we might actually draw and write our own comic, and <laughs> and you might not like what we come up with. So yeah, try to pick something you know uh, that that really happened. And you know, if you pick like this one, you picked a run. We're gonna break down one issue from it. Uh, mm-hmm. So if you want to do whatever it is, an event uh we will we we can talk about an event uh at certain certain length events uh some of them sure. are kind of get kicked over to weird Comics history but yeah uh, we will just we will pick one comic to really break down and then kind of like talk about the rest in overview so uh you can also listen to, you can also read our stuff uh, virtually every week on weirdsciencedccomics.com chris and i review a bunch of comic books for them if you want to follow us on twitter i'm at reggie reggie I'm at Ace Comics, and every week I tell you, you got to go check out Chris's personal blog. That's Chris is on Infinite where he reviews a DC comic every single day. And uh, you've gotten out of that Halloween month, and you've thankfully really, you've really been puttering along, you know, reviewing some awesome comics. Uh, it's totally worth looking at. Um, you know, the, the breakdown. I, I really, I think my favorite part is the. Uh, reflections about it at the end. Yeah. You know, really insightful stuff. And often, it's a fun part to write. often a little, sometimes a little story about Chris himself. If you'd like to, uh, if you're trying to pick the brain of the man himself, that's one way you can do it. <laughs> Go read his blog. You'll get a little info. But uh, mm-hmm. I think that's all we got from this week. Chris, you got anything else?
1: No, just uh, you know. Again, uh, we are we are open for business. Um, whatever you want us to talk about, please let us know. And uh, you know, like I said, if we if we have it, great. If we don't have it, we'll find it. And yep. if we can't find it, we'll make it up.
0: <laughs> there you go. <laughs> fair, fair enough. One way or the other. Yeah, we got a pretty long list now, so you know we're we're, we're tacking on to the end of it. But we will try to get to everything in due time. Uh, yes. But until next, well, next couple of weeks, I want you to keep it on the treadmill fantastically.
1: See well, good friends, we have been for so long But lately things have been going so wrong Lately I find my girl is on your mind And this is where friendship ends Well, I knew you'd been acting so strange I couldn't conceive what made you change Ah but you gave yourself away when you kissed my girl today. Well this is where friendship.